Well, hi, my name is Niall, aka The Nihilist, and welcome to Body Talk, a new series of podcasts where we discuss sex, sexuality, and sexual health from a very queer perspective. The purpose of Body Talk is to create a space where queer people can talk freely and openly about the issues affecting us and our queer bodies, living in them, living with them, living in a non-queer society, and how, as queer people, we fuck. And yes, I did just drop the F-bomb there. There'll be plenty more F-bombs and possibly even worse getting dropped throughout the course of this show. So if your ears are of a sensitive disposition to upfront language like that, please tune out now. J.D. Sampson and the band Men there with a song called Credit Card Babies, which was originally released uh, the best part of a decade ago, which is making me feel quite old now. I am a music producer and performer myself, and I supported J.D. and Men when they performed at Islington Mill here in Salford, which, yeah, thinking about it now, that was almost 10 years ago. Oh, God. So I chose that song to open up the inaugural episode of Body Talk, not just for the nostalgic feels and because it's a great tune, but because they use the phrase talk about body quite a lot as a main hook in that song. If you were listening, you would have heard that. And that is what we're going to be doing on Body Talk. The name is quite self-explanatory, I think. But to go into more detail, we are going to be talking about all different aspects of the human body, about our own bodies, about other people's bodies and how ours and other people's bodies interact. And while there is a certain universality to sex and sexuality, because we're all human at the end of the day, I do need to point out right now that this is going to be very much a queer show. Me and the guests that I'm going to be bringing on are going to be discussing these aspects of sex and sexuality, the history of sex the anthropology and the sociology of sex, the practicalities of sex, different ways of looking at sex. What is sex? All those different sex questions. We're going to be looking at this very much from a queer point of view that is focusing on these issues from the outlook of people who are on the LGBTQIA spectrum. 
I believe that we have a very different outlook on sex and sexuality than what you find in the heteronormative mainstream. I think that the heteronormative mainstream itself can benefit maybe from our different and varying outlooks on all these things. And I don't think it's a particularly controversial point of view to acknowledge that we live in a very sexually driven world. Sex is a very mainstream thing now, even more so than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. But I still feel for me personally, it's very, most of the dialogue that I hear about sex that I tune into myself, I find it to be very normative, even if it is coming from, for instance, a homosexual point of view or something like that. I just think that there's so much more that we need to be talking about when we talk about sex than what we're actually getting to hear at the moment. And so I have decided to create this podcast, Body Talk, as a space for queers to openly talk about and discuss sex. Um, again, I'm going to say the language on this show is going to be very frank and very upfront. If you don't like that and you don't like to hear words that um, some of these words can be used as slurs, that doesn't mean that I personally am using them as slurs. A lot of the words that surround sex and the language that we use when we talk about sex is neutral, but we're only used to hearing it in either a pejorative or a positive way but the language itself is actually neutral. So there are going to be words that I'm going to be using that um, basically that the most direct form of talking about sex that I can think of. And bearing in mind that the topic of the language of sex, how we talk about sex when we do talk about sex, bearing in mind that that is a theme that we're going to be coming back to, amongst others, quite repeatedly on this show, This is the caveat to say, if you are not up for listening to queer-identified people talking about sex, including descriptions of actual sex acts, this is really not the podcast for you. And I also have to put in another caveat to say that if you are under the legal age of consuming this kind of material in the place that you live, unfortunately, I'm going to have to ask you to stop listening now. But if you're still here, and this is something that you want to continue listening to, then, well, hey, let's do this. Another one of the topics that I want to get into as the series progresses is the idea of what actually is queer. What does that mean? I'm not going to go into my thoughts on that right now. I might do that later. But that is one of the themes that we'll be coming back to repeatedly is what is queer? The format of this show is going to be myself in conversation with a guest every episode. I'm going to try and keep the conversations themed, so there'll be one main area of interest that we will be discussing thoroughly. And of course, if that main area of interest leads us down other interesting sexual tributaries, then we will discuss them as well. But we're going to keep each show to a kind of a theme. We'll see how that goes. We might have to expand on that as the series progresses. Um, Very excited to announce the first round of guests that I have appearing on Body Talk with The Nihilist. The first guest that I'm going to announce is the acclaimed and award-winning theatre writer and performer Scotty Scotty who is probably best known for their most recent shows, Fat Blokes and Class, which have been touring both nationally and internationally. The next guest that we've got coming up 
is TV's Cheddar Gorgeous, who you may know from the Channel 4 reality show Drag SOS, which aired last year. Cheddar is also house mother of the family Gorgeous and is a self-proclaimed sexpert. Well, not really self-proclaimed, actually. They're an anthropologist and they have a doctorate and their doctorate was written around sex work. So technically they are an accredited sexpert. And the third guest that we've got coming up in the first round of Body Talks is the writer and columnist Gina Tonic, who I want to use the word body positivity here, but the word, that phrase has gotten kind of problematic recently. So I'm just going to say that Gina Tonic is a very fat, positive writer and columnist. You can find her work on Dazed and in Cosmo and on Vice and a lot of great websites like that. But seeing as this is the inaugural episode of Body Talk with the Nihilist, please indulge me because I am going to do a one-man show here. I'm going to do a solo show where I talk about me and I talk about my body because I want to explain to listenership who I am, what I'm all about, why I want to be talking about sex and my outlook on certain aspects of sex and the various themes and issues that we are going to be discussing much more in depth with different points of view analysing these themes here on Body Talk. So, here we go. And I'm just going to add another, and hopefully the final caveat at this point. If I have any family members or blood relatives who are listening to this, probably best to stop listening now, guys, because you're definitely going to have too much information coming your way. So, who am I? Hi, I'm the Nihilist, a.k.a. Niall O'Connell, a writer, filmmaker and music producer who, if you can't tell from these dulcet tones and that name, was originally born and raised in Ireland. I am still an Irish citizen, but I now live in the UK, in Salford, which is a part of Greater Manchester. My professional writing has been published by the websites Dangerous Minds, Boing Boing, Vice, Fact Magazine, amongst many others, and I have been DJing and producing dance music since the early 2000s under a variety of different names. Probably the best known one of those is Cunt Tracks. And yes, I just dropped the C-bomb on you there. You have been warned the language was coming. I have very specific reasons for using that particular word, which I know is highly offensive. I will go into why I use that word later on in the show, though I don't want to go into that right now. So yeah, I am a music producer, a filmmaker and a writer. I moved to Glasgow in the late 90s from Ireland to study film at Glasgow University and I ended up staying in Glasgow, living there for well over a decade. I found the music scene in Glasgow to be incredible and music is one of my main drives and passions in life. In fact, I would go so far as to say that music is the prism through which I view everything in my life, from the spiritual to the physical to the artistic, even the other forms of art that I create that are not specifically music, very, very much informed by spending so much of my life learning about and performing and trying to hone my own craft in music. So I moved from Glasgow to Manchester in about 2010. Glasgow is a great city. It has, like I said, an incredible music scene. 
and also very vibrant arts and culture scene and a nightlife scene. It's a great social scene as well. It's a great city to live in if you're uh, not particularly rich and you need to eke out a living for yourself on the poorer side of the tracks. Glasgow is a great place to do that. But even though Glasgow is not necessarily overtly homophobic, I didn't feel completely comfortable living there in terms of being able to express myself fully sexually and as a queer, basically. So in 2010, I moved to Manchester in the north of England. I still live in Manchester. Well, actually, technically, I don't live in Manchester. I live in Salford. And if you don't know the geography of the area, Manchester and Salford were two separate cities that um, I believe were founded around the same time. But what happened is that Manchester boomed with the uh, cotton industry at the dawn of industrialization and became a much bigger city and swamped out Salford. So these two cities are literally side by side. So I technically live in Salford, but the part of Salford that I live in is very close to Manchester city centre. So when people from abroad and people who don't know the geography of the area ask me where I'm from, I find it's easier just to say I live in Manchester or Greater Manchester because that's the place that everyone knows. I moved here in 2010 because Manchester, in my opinion, even though I've never been to San Francisco, um, I feel like it's probably the closest thing that we have in the UK to somewhere like San Francisco, a major, major metropolitan area, but with a very diverse population. And it's not the foremost city, it's not a capital city, but it's definitely one of the second or third cities. And it's very big. And there's a very vibrant queer and gay cultural and social scene here, which attracted me. I decided in 2010 that I was going to leave Glasgow. For a specific intention, I wanted ex to express myself fully as a queer man and to find, without putting too fine a point on it, a boyfriend. Because, shockity shock, I am gay. Yes, I'm a gay man now. I've always known that I am gay, so I guess um, that reference to Catherine Tate is, doesn't really work because I've always been attracted to men. My first formative memories of a pre-sexual kind of attraction to anyone um, and any kind of desire to the human being or to the human form has always been about men and not about women. I've never actually had a sexual experience with a woman. I'm just being completely honest off the bat with you there for full transparency. Um, it's not for any... I'm not like one of those gay men who is repulsed by women or anything like that, or female exclusionary or any of that kind of thing. It's just that women just don't attract me. Their bodies, I don't find them as attractive as I do men's bodies. Um, when it comes to my attraction to men's bodies as well, though, there's a bit of a story there, too, because even though I'm a gay man, I am a particular kind of gay man, which, if you have much knowledge of the gay male world, you might know what some of these terms and some of these ideas are about already, but I am what is commonly known as a bear. So, what is a bear? If you're that basic, and I have to tell you, basically... <laughs> A bear is a large, hairy man. So if you think of what does a bear, the animal, resemble, and you try to transmute that into human form, yes, that's what bears are. So basically, bears are fat and beardy. So fat, beardy men are bears. The term bear 
itself has become the original meaning of the term has kind of warped itself and that's something I'm going to back to later on to talk about what Bayer now represents as opposed to what it did represent and my own interpretation of what Bayer means and how that identity has been both chosen by me to represent myself as a quote-unquote Bayer but also forced upon me as a person who physically resembles the idea of what a Bayer should be. So Technically, I'm a bear, but I have a very complex relationship with what it means to be a bear. And what does it mean to be a bear? How have I had this identity thrust upon me? It's because my main physical characteristic that you probably would say about me if you had to point me out in a crowd somewhere full of different kinds of people is that I am fat. I am a fat man. I, in certain sections of society, am deemed as being overweight. There's other words to describe what I am that perhaps don't have the pejorative tang that fat does. But like I said at the start of the show, language is neutral unless it is devised as a slur. And fat wasn't devised as a slur. It's merely a descriptor that has been used primarily as a pejorative term. So I am comfortable in describing myself as being a fat man. I know that that word, because of the overwhelmingly pejorative use of that word, is problematic for other people who are technically fat. I use the word fat in a non-pejorative context. In fact, I would go so far as to say that for me, the word fat is a compliment. I am very pro-fat in terms of my usage of the word. And that has got to do with two things, really. Um, The first of which is a reclamation of that word, as it was used against me as a slur, and it has been used, it still is used against me as a slur. Um, I've experienced that my entire life. And is a descriptor, though. So while people have used the word fat to try and deride me for the way I look and my appearance, I can't deny that I am fat. So I have made the choice to reclaim that word and to use it as a positive descriptor of myself. And there is another aspect of my sexuality that has led me to down that path. And that's something I'll talk about now. There's another term for fat people that is used um, quite commonly in gay circles. And it's used quite commonly in the straight world as well, particularly within sexual circles. And that is chub, which, um, again, it's a descriptor of someone who is deemed overweight by mainstream society. In other words, who is fat. I am a chub myself, but I'm also someone who is for the vast majority of my sexuality, for the 95%, I would say, of my sexual desire is aimed at other fat men. So within the common parlance of the gay underground, I am what is known as a chubby chaser. And because I am a chub myself, I am a chubby, chubby chaser. That is shortened within... um, gay parlance to the much more catchy chub for chub. So I am a chub for chub. I am a chubby man who is attracted to other chubby men. And my sexual desire for chubby men is the second reason that I feel very comfortable in reclaiming the word fat as a positive descriptor for myself and for other men. Because at the end of the day, fat is actually something I love. I love it. I love it about myself and I love it in the other people. And 
there is also a scientific term, I believe, which is called macrophilia, which translates roughly as attraction to the large. I am definitely a macrophile. I mentioned earlier my pre-sexual attraction to the naked human form was about men, but it wasn't just every man that I saw. It was specifically for large, in other words, fat men. I haven't had a sexual encounter with a woman, but if it was to happen, I feel very deeply that it would be with a large woman, a fat woman, because I feel like fatness is the main attractor that I have. I just happen to be gay. I like men, but I like fat men. My first dawnings of sexual desire when I was old enough to have those kind of thoughts and to understand what that meant was to fat men. It was to big men, to fat men, to um, John Goodman as Dan Connor in Roseanne is the perfect example. Other men would have been Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters. Men like that, fat men, basically. So for me, I am definitely a macrophile in that such a huge percentage of my overall makeup of sexual attraction is not just for the male form, it is for a specifically large male form. So there is another another breakdown, another little box I'm going to put myself into here. Um, but I think it's important to do these things because I want to make quite clear where my attraction lies, because I think that is a very important aspect of why I want to do a queer podcast, because it's not just about you know, being gay or being straight, there is much more to the story than that. And that is something that I bring to this discussion. And that's something that I want to explore with body talk. I'm not just attracted to the male form. I am specifically attracted to a certain type of male form. And I want to express that and talk about that on this show. I have quite a different outlook on sex, to be honest, than a lot of people. I was a very late bloomer sexually. I didn't lose my virginity until I was 19, until I was just at the very end of my teenage life, which is quite a different story for most people, I think. Um, The reason was, is that I could not access the kind of man that I sexually desired in a seemingly legitimate way. I wasn't going to play around with the other boys because they didn't attract me, because they're boys. You see, they're not men. I'm attracted to a certain kind of man. And the box that I'm going to put myself into now, but it's a box of my own creation, and it's a box that I'm very comfortable in. And I do feel it is quite transgressive when taken in the context of mainstream heteronormative values. I describe myself as being a Santa sexual. So, breaking down my desire, I'm a gay man who is attracted to fat men, and they tend to be older men. They're men who look like Santa Claus, basically. And that's how I describe myself. I'm a Santa sexual. I love beards, I love fat, and I love greyness and being older. All these things to me are quite transgressive within the world of mainstream heteronormative sexuality, because all those things are usually seen as being off-putting, if not downright revolting in a sexual context. When I say that I was a late bloomer, 
and I wasn't able to access my sexuality as a teenager, it wasn't just a physical thing where I couldn't find these kinds of men and fool around with them and possibly even fuck some of them. It was even deeper than that. It was like a psychological state where the idea that I could just be attracted to fat men just didn't seem legitimate. It wasn't reality. It certainly wasn't being spoken about in any of the narratives around sex that I could find at the time, whether gay or straight. It didn't even have a name. The kind of desire that I grew up with at the time didn't even have a name. And this wasn't just to do with the homosexuality of my desire. It has very much to do with the fact that fat people are constantly desexualized and not allowed to be portrayed in a positive sexual light because fatness in and of itself is seen as being unhealthy. And why would I be attracted to something that was the opposite of life and health? Something that was constantly being portrayed in the world around me and in the media as being actually a kind of slow living death How could I find this attractive? How could I desire fat men? Was there something wrong with me? Was there something wrong with my brain? Was I wired wrong? Because I did find them attractive. I was masturbating furiously every day to the thoughts of John Goodman in a sexual scenario. The thing that I had been told was the least desirable thing in the world was, in my head, actually the most desirable thing. So I grew up feeling like I had this complete outsider desire. My desire wasn't something that was legitimized in the mainstream that I could see. And while names and categories for these kind of desires have since become available to me and I've been able to access them later on in my life, as a teenager they didn't exist. So I retain some kind of power from being able to self-identify my outsider desire as a santosexual, as a person who finds attractive certain modes of human form that have been designated as unattractive by mainstream heteronormative society. I remember as a music producer about 15 years ago discovering the term outsider music, that that term existed and what it actually meant. And to be honest, I found it deeply shocking. I see what I do now and the kind of work that I do create as being outsider art. But at that point in my life and at that point in general culture, I felt that the playing field for arts and culture, especially in the UK and especially for popular music, was level enough that even an outsider could potentially get a novelty hit or a number one or something may happen, some stroke of luck to be used in a campaign or a radio show and somebody who wasn't a traditional pop star might have the good fortune of getting a hit in the pop charts. So to me, the idea of outsider music was very alien, very um, kind of insulting in a way, because I feel like everyone makes music for roughly the same purposes, which is to communicate. Why should some of those people who are just trying to communicate in their own different way be deemed as outsiders? And does that mean that there is somehow an inside which is the way you should do things, and people who don't do that aren't allowed to access success. I am much more comfortable in a position of being seen as being an outsider now than I was when I was growing up. I think that's a general societal thing, is when you're young, you want to fit in, even if your mode of trying to fit in is by being a success in whatever it is that you choose to do. I'm much more comfortable labelling myself as an outsider now. Looking back, I know that I've always been an outsider, and 
looking forward. I guess I always will. But it is this notion of outsiderness, of transgression, of working in the direct opposite way that the rules of mainstream society tell you to operate in. That, to me, is a fundamental aspect of what it means to be queer. The outsider imperative. Right, time for a little breather. I've been talking quite solidly there for quite a long time, although I think it was important to lay all that stuff out for you, the listenership, so you know where I'm coming from. And now I'm going to give you another piece of where I have come from, a piece of my own outsider music that was produced. I don't really like to think about these things too much because now that I think of it, it was nearly 20 years ago that this piece of music was made. This is a little electropop ditty that I wrote under the pseudonym The Spin Out Sisters, but it was produced and performed entirely by me uh, it's a tribute to Michel Foucault because the song is called The History of Sex and have a listen to this in your ear holes I'll be back in a minute or two
Spin Out Sisters there with a song called The History of Sex. Written and produced by myself. If you like that, you can find that song on an album called Lo-Fi Gold, which you can find on my Bandcamp page, which is thenihilist.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-N-I-A-L-L-I-S-T dot bandcamp.com. That is uh, where all my musical wares are for sale. The musical wares that are produced as the Nihilist anyway. The, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, my best known alias is probably my Vogue House production alias, which goes by the moniker of Cunt Tracks. And I'm going to take a minute now to get into why I use that name and what it actually means to me. And as you can probably tell, I'm going to be using the word cunt quite a lot from this point forward. So as I mentioned earlier, I moved to Glasgow from Ireland in the late 90s. Let's just leave it at that. And I spent 13 years there in total, I think, around that. Anyway, it was over a decade, well over a decade. So I did a lot of growing up and a lot of finding myself in Glasgow. One of the things about Scottish culture in Glasgow in particular that I really enjoyed was the use of language there, which is kind of similar very similar, actually, to the Irish outlook on the use of language, which is to say that language is malleable and that we can bring our own interpretations and meanings to words that are not the standard meanings of words that you would find in, for instance, Webster's Dictionary or something. And you can import your own meaning and you can also invent words, which I love doing. I love inventing words. And Scottish slang dialect is full of that kind of thing, kind of words where the actual meaning is ironically the complete opposite of what you'd find in the dictionary and also words that are completely made up. And also Scotland is very big for kind of their slang dialect being transcribed literally um, as it sounds. So sometimes if you're reading something that's written in a Scottish dialect, you'll see these words pop up. And the only way you can really translate it is to say it out loud, because once you say it, it will make more sense in the Scottish dialect. The reason I bring all this up about Scotland and the use of language in Scotland and what it, how it pertains to me using the name Cunt Tracks as a house production alias. In Scotland, particularly in Glasgow, the word cunt is completely normalised. So you could be walking down the street with a friend and you see another friend on the other side of the street and you go, oh, look at that cunt over there. Cunt is basically just used as a phrase that denominates just another person. It can be used in a disparaging way, like, oh, she's such a cunt. But it can also be used in um, kind of a positive way. And it's like, oh, that cunt over there, they're a good friend of mine. Oh, she's a bra cunt, stuff like that. I do feel that there's an aspect of Irish and Scottish culture's use of the English language in reclaiming a language that was forced upon us as our mother tongues were stripped away. So there is an element definitely of subverting the language of the colonial masters who historically displaced the people and then oppressed the native people's use of their own indigenous language. So... I'm not going to deny that there is a shock factor in using the word cunt. There is. And cunt also signifies that you're going hard. I'm going to go into now the second reason why I use the word cunt in the name contracts. And it's got to do with the fact that contracts is... uh, uh, I produce a specific kind of house music, which is called ballroom house. It's not got to do with strictly cunt dancing. It's got to do with vogue 
balls in the Vogue scene. I'm not really going to spend too much time educating a listenership on Vogue house culture, but if you need, if you don't know what this is all about, check out the documentary Paris is Burning by Jenny Livingston from 1991, and then also go and look at the current FX, very highly popular acclaimed series Pose, which is written by Ryan Murphy and Janet Mock, I believe. Um, that will go into a much better detail about what Vogue culture is and where it has come from than I can do justice to here on Body Talk. But the one aspect of house ballroom and Vogue culture that I want to make clear at this point is that it is a culture that originated from the lives of trans women. There is some debate as to exactly where Vogue and house ballroom culture comes from, but it is a culture that was designed by and for trans women to uplift themselves. And in that context, the use of the word cunt in house ballroom culture is positive. So it's not pejorative. I mean, there there are still occasions where it can be used in a pejorative sense, because in mainstream culture, that word still has that meaning. But specifically in ballroom culture, cunt means it's like an exaggerated form of fierce, referring specifically to the feminine. It also has to do with trans women being able to pass convincingly as cis women. So you could say about somebody, she's cunt, means she looks fierce, she looks very feminine, and possibly she's unclockable in terms of being able to tell her birth gender. One of the best known house music songs that is used as a battle track when Vogue dancers Vogue against each other is Rageous Project featuring Kevin Avion's Cunty. So Cunty is another use of the word cunt in ballroom. And it again refers to, it's a very, very positive term. So she's cunty. She's cunt. There are actually a few different songs within the ballroom repertoire that use that phrase in that way. So when I came to christen my ballroom house project uh, the word cunt seemed very apt to what I was trying to do. I wanted to do something that was quite hard and quite explicit but also super gay and quite feminine and <laughs> there's a third reason why the word is special to me and what it means now it wasn't necessarily explicitly what I was thinking when I christened contracts but The word cunt has come to take a special place in my life, and this is body talk, and I am talking about my body. So, just for full transparency, I refer to my own anus as a cunt sometimes. Quite a lot of the time, actually. I, in terms of sex and the kind of sex that I practice, I'm very much a fan of anal sex. I get a lot of pleasure from my own anus, and I really enjoy giving pleasure to other men through the use of their anuses in various forms. Because the anus is a site of pleasure for me, I christen it my cunt, and I also refer to it as my pussy, because I feel it's another genital that I have on my body, something that can bring me sexual pleasure to the state where I can have an orgasm. I'm not going to go into much detail about the specifics of anal sex right now, but I do want to note that we will probably be talking about anal sex quite a lot on Body Talk. 
It's one of my own particular areas of interests, but also I think it's something that needs to be discussed in a wider context anyway. It's a sexual act that a lot of people partake in, but it's still seen as being very taboo and it has a lot of issues based around gender, particularly for cisgendered men who bottom and who like to be penetrated by other men. Anal sex also has the duality of being a site of pleasure, but also a site of disgust because of the primary use of the anus, which, as we all know, is to create and push out shit. Shit is a waste product of the human body that can be quite toxic, and the human reaction to creating shit is to push it far away and get rid of it as quickly and easily as possible. Shit is denigrated in modern society, And that's obvious in the kinds of words that we use for shit and shitting, uh, such as doo-doo, poop, muck, that kind of thing. So the duality of anal sex is very interesting to me as a site of both pleasure and disgust. And while we will be discussing the act of anal sex on this show, I think... We'll also be discussing anal sex in a broader, more sociological context, like what it means for this one sex act to have different kinds of meanings in different sectors of society that range from disgust and revulsion to pleasure. In fact, there is a subset of sex that is relevant to both um, male and female and straight and gay where shit is in fact fetishized and shit itself is seen as the site of sexual pleasure and that subset is called scat scat is a word that sounds a bit like shit so i think the use of i don't know where the word scat comes from in and of itself but it is quite a handy substitute for the word shit while meaning the same thing and possibly it doesn't have the same pejoratives attached to it as the word shit but because the concept and the thought of shit itself is so repellent to the vast majority of people even a word like scat which doesn't necessarily have a pejorative meaning or origin takes on a very pejorative meaning because of what it actually represents. These are the kind of things that I find really interesting and that I want to discuss on Body Talk. Um, For full transparency, even though I'm a fan of anal sex, I am not into scat myself. Just can't handle the smell of it. But the fact is that that is what the anal cavity is there for. Its, Its primary use is to create shit. So if you are involved in anal sex... For want of a better phrase, shit happens. It's a reality and it is something that you have to deal with. That is another aspect of the difference between straight sex and queer sex that I want to explore on Body Talk. And it is those subtle negotiations between pleasure and disgust. But there is another aspect of anal sex that I think is very important for me to mention at this point in the show and for future context and reference on Body Talk. I see anal sex, even though it is practiced by a certain percentage of straight couples and then quite a lot of gay male couples, by mainstream standards, anal sex is seen as an outsider sex act. That is probably because as a sex act, it doesn't lead to the act of procreation. You're not going to make a baby by bumming someone. But 
I personally view anal sex as almost like the great sexual leveler. Anal sex can be practiced by one person on themselves. So it doesn't even have to be with another person. Anal sex can be practiced on the individual by themselves. And that individual doesn't even have to be specifically male or female to do that. The anus, as I have previously described, and in my own conception of my own anus, is such a site of pleasure that I see the anus as being a genital. And along with nipples, the anus is the genital that every human being has, and that can be activated for pleasure if used in the right way. I know not everybody has an anus through birth or health. me, how would somebody who doesn't have an anus engage with anal sex? That is a reality for some people. And that is the kind of thing that I am interested in and that I want to discuss and explore on Body Talk. So I think it should be quite clear now to you, the listener, what the gist of this show is, where I'm coming from and where I would like this show to go. Very frank, upfront discussions of sex, be it sex acts or a more broader, larger sociological view of sex and sex cultures, but all coming from a queer perspective and looking at outsider aspects of sex and sex cultures. This should also give you some kind of idea of the type of language I will be using on the show, which I told you at the start and I'm reinforcing now, it's going to be explicit. As I've already mentioned, the language of sex, how we talk about sex, when we talk about sex, is a massive area of interest for me too. I'm a professional writer, so language is something that I deal in, and it's already one of my huge areas of fascination and interest. I've already explained how, as an Irish person, I feel like we have a looser connection to the intended meaning of language because of potentially language's colonial past and its usage in our cultures. But at the end of the day, language is still human beings' primary mode of communication. Words are the main method that we use of passing information along between ourselves and between one another. Even though there are other forms of communication, such as visual and body language and things like that, that are a super integral part of sex and sexuality, We're still going to be doing a podcast and you're just hearing our words. So while I feel like I might be pushing this point quite hard at this point, I do want to set up some kind of parameters around the language of sex that we are using. A lot of this language is used in mainstream society and also in, for instance, pornography, in advertising, in pop music, stuff like that. A lot of this kind of language is used to titillate. And that's one purpose of this kind of language. And I'm not decrying that. What I'm saying on body talk, I want to use this language, but the emphasis is not necessarily going to be on titillating you, the listener, because we want to discuss, we're not wanting to turn you on. If you get turned on, that's fine. But that is not our explicit purpose here on the show. As a content creator, I'm aware that I can't control the reaction to the content I create. So I'm not barring somebody finding this stuff titillating or being turned on by it. But I just want to make clear at this point that that is not the intention of the show necessarily. 
that may be one outcome of the discussions that we are having here. But I want to keep it broader than just titillation, because I think we need to dissociate some of this language from creating that impulse within us to be able to discuss things in a clearer manner. This confusion around the language of sex and the context and the meanings of some of the words that we use when we describe sex, even if it is for the process of titillation, is something that came home to me very clearly quite recently, actually. So I've been talking here for quite a while now. I think it's like three quarters of an hour, which would be going quite well. If you're not sick of the sound of my voice and you've made it to this part of the show, well done. But I'm going to round out episode one of Body Talk with an anecdote that um, relates to my own sex life. Full disclosure, I have a porn Twitter. Twitter is one of the biggest social media platforms on the internet. And if you're not aware, a huge percentage of Twitter itself is used to distribute and to publicise porn, whether that is porn made in a studio or porn made by people in their own bedrooms, a kind of DIY porn. Porn is another topic that we're going to be coming back to a lot on Body Talk, specifically with some of the future guests that I hope to get on the show. It's a huge area of interest of mine, but it's also sociologically really interesting. And there are aspects of what we traditionally conceive as being porn that are changing rapidly. So the mainstream of what could be considered mainstream porn, I think, is changing quite a lot. And that is something that I'm going to be talking about in future episodes of the show. So, yeah, I have a porn Twitter. Um, some of the content on my porn Twitter is content that I have made myself including myself. It's my own body that I am taking pictures of and filming and putting out there to be consumed by other people. And last week, something happened where, as you can imagine, I think if you've been paying attention to the show at this point, you'll realise that the kind of people that I'm following on Twitter are fat old men. That's my area of interest. I've already told you that I'm a Santa sexual. So get with the programme and realise that the Twitters that I'm following massively run by fat old men showing off pictures of their own fat bodies. Last Friday, somebody I follow, a really, really attractive chubby dude, um, posted a picture of himself with his belly out and it had, it had the caption, is fat cunt Fridays a thing? What he means when he says, is fat cunt Fridays a thing? On Twitter and on many social medias, there are different days of the week that have a different appendage to the day for people to show off particular parts of their own bodies. So Tummy Tuesday is a thing. Wet Wednesday is another thing where people go on social media wearing wet clothes so they're see-through. Now, Fat Cunt Fridays is not a thing. It's not something that has become viral in terms of many people are taking up and going, yes, I'm a fat cunt, look at me. But there are some people doing it. I saw this man's tweet and I thought, yes, I am a fat man with a cunt, a male cunt, as I've already described on the show, and I am happy to show that male fat cunt off. So I replied to his tweet with, yes, let's make fat cunt Fridays a thing. Here is my fat cunt from this big fat cunt. That was the tweet that I posted. About 24 hours later, I got a message on Twitter saying that I have been banned for a week. Why? 
because the tweet that I had sent in response to this man's tweet was deemed as being hateful rhetoric and was in some kind of way a form of abuse. Now, I sent, uh, when I got the initial notification that I was going to be barred, I sent an appeal to Twitter because I tried to explain to them that for me, the words fat and cunt and putting them together to make the term fat cunt are not pejorative. For me, they are very positive terms. They are the things that I look for in other men and they are the things about myself that I like and I like to show off. Of course, I never heard anything back from Twitter. It went for about another 24 hours and I got no reply and I was kind of itching to get back on Twitter. So one of the options that Twitter gave me while my appeal was still pending was to just simply go back and delete the tweet. So to make life easier, to get back onto looking at lots of sexy fat men on Twitter again, I decided to delete the tweet. However, once I had deleted it, what that meant was an admission of guilt on my part that I had used language to abuse another person on Twitter. That was not the case, but I am assuming Twitter is using algorithms to work this stuff out because there are possibly like a billion people on Twitter. I don't know how they could possibly police that site using human beings. I am assuming that what policed my account was an algorithm. So it was some form of artificial intelligence that was not human. And it does not understand the context within which I was using a phrase that in the general consensus in mainstream society is seen as being a slur. Yes, a fat cunt. If you call someone a fat cunt, that's a slur. However, in the sexual underground of chub for chub, chubby chasers, being both fat and a cunt are seen as being very positive things. So even if you were to use the phrase fat cunt in a derogatory manner, a chubby chaser would see that derogatory term and it would signify something very positive to them. In fact, to a chubby chaser, the phrase big fat cunt symbolizes exactly the thing that the chubby chaser is looking for to gain sexual gratification and pleasure from. I'm aware that there are aspects of fetishization that are going on here that should be discussed as well, but fetishization is another big topic that I'm going to be coming back to repeatedly on Body Talk because I have a complex relationship with fetishization myself. I inhabit a body that, through no choice of my own, has already been negatively fetishized by the world at large. So, for instance, when I was at school, the other kids would tease me about having a big fat ass. They would tease me about having bitch tits, tits that were the size and shape of what a woman's, a grown, fully grown woman's tits were like. So I have experienced negative fetishization of my body. And the way I have learned to cope with that negative fetishization is to take that fetishization itself and turn it from something negative to something positive. I guess it does help that I'm a chubby chaser as well as being a chub, a chub for chub. But because I personally represent and inhabit the things that I find attractive in others, I have decided to self-fetishize myself in a positive way, which is why I post pictures of myself on social media. Triple X rated pictures for adults only, kids. Sorry. But I have a complex relationship with fetishization, and it's another topic that I would like to explore on future episodes of Body Talk.
So that was the context I was using the term fat cunt. And anyway, he said it first. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been able to get back on Twitter since that happened. So I don't know if the original poster who was wanting to make Fat Cunt Friday a thing has also been banned. I think it's quite possible because they did use the phrase as well. Possibly it was me using the phrase three times in a tweet with a picture of my bum. Could have been the thing that pushed the algorithm towards actually this is not just the usage of a term in a neutral sense. This is a form of abuse against someone else. Maybe the algorithm just thinks that looking at my big fat bum is in itself a form of abuse. But, you know, in that case, don't come around my Twitter. Having said that, I do have another Twitter, which I refer to as my more regular Twitter. It's my non-pornographic, not really about sex Twitter. And if you would like to get in touch with me about anything that you've heard me talking about on the show, you can find me on my quote-unquote regular Twitter at twitter.com forward slash the nihilist that's forward slash t-h-e-n for norman i-a-l-l-i-s-t that's t-h-e-n-i-a-l-l-i-s-t twitter.com forward slash the nihilist I refer to that Twitter as my regular Twitter because even though sometimes things about sex come up on my regular Twitter, my regular Twitter is not a place for titillation, necessarily. I keep that for my porn Twitter, and I like to make that distinction quite clear. Hence, making the point earlier on about the parameters of the language you use when we talk about sex. And I've been talking about sex and myself, and my body, for the best part of an hour now. So I'm going to wrap up episode one of Body Talk with the Nihilist. I know that I haven't actually managed to cover all the things that I said I would at the start of the show. Um, I did say that I was going to discuss further my relationship to the word bear and being a bear, but I guess at this point that's something I'm going to have to keep for a future episode, where I will get some other bears maybe on as well, and we'll all talk about what that means. I've actually only managed to cover for this show about half of what I bullet pointed down to talk about on episode one. So I think there's going to be quite a lot to talk about in future episodes. If you've made it this far, if you're still listening, thank you so much. I've been like blabbing on about myself for the last hour. And if you are still here, I'm hoping that you have found something of value or of interest from Body Talk. And I hope you come back for the next episode. We are very excited to have our first special guest. One of many, but very excited to have this particular one to launch the guest episodes of Body Talk. I mentioned them at the top of the show, and it is the award-winning, acclaimed queer playwright and performer, Scotty Scotty. And even though I know that our conversation is going to go in many different directions because we've got a lot to talk about, we have decided that for the first guest edition of Body Talk, we are going to try and use as a jumping off point for our conversation the whole topic of having an open relationship. So monogamy, polyamory, open relationships and swinging. The subject of open relationships is something I wanted to talk about myself on this edition of 
body talk to fill you in on my own history and my own story when it comes to that. But I guess you'll just have to tune in to episode two to find out. And I hope you do. It'll be great to have your ears and minds back for another edition. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about me, if you want to get in contact with me, um, once I'm stopped being shadow banned on Twitter, you can contact me on Twitter. On my non-porn Twitter, my my quote regular Twitter, which also got shadow banned for I don't know why like I've posted nothing offensive on that I don't tend to post you know controversial things on that one at all but anyway if you want to get in touch with me you can follow me on my non-porn twitter that is twitter.com forward slash the nihilist t-h-e-n-i-a-l-l-i-s-t and if you would like to hear some of the music production I was talking about earlier on in the show you can find me on Bandcamp you can find me on thenihilist.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-N-I-A-L-L-I-S-T dot bandcamp.com. And I'm now going to leave you with another one of my own productions. It's something that I made in about 2005, even though stylistically it's a throwback to an earlier era of hip-hop, something like the late 80s to the early 90s. It is my attempt to make a very gay hip-hop track. And what else would it be about except my insatiable lust for fat men? Um, I told you at the start of the show that I go by a bunch of different pseudonyms. This is one of them. It's MC Chubby Chase, produced by Dr. Gay. And this is my sexual manifesto. It's called I Like Him Fat.